on this week's episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, we break down some of the big changes in the National League wildcard race. We also take a look at some big shakeups in some position power rankings at some important positions. We have a discussion about which American League players not named Shohei Otani are putting up MVP caliber seasons. And who do you think are the best infielders in baseball history? Find out our thoughts right now. Hello, listeners. My name is Alex Jonitz, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd. He was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 107. Alex and Eric coming to you. It is Wednesday, August 16th. Alex, I'll, I'll take some time to just do it in the beginning because we usually do it in the end of every recording. But if you listeners have not done it already, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. I, I mean, actually call it X now. Uh, follow us on X. Alex, I know we're going to be start making some reels as well. Uh, I just wanted to get the social media stuff out of the way in the beginning. Good idea. AJ is our social media guru expert. He's the guy who's posting. Uh, he's also the one uh, responding to some of you guys out there, uh, our, our, our super fans, I would say. Uh, and you know who you are. But uh, spark if you want to spark any interest and uh, you know, uh, tweet at us and ask any questions or any thoughts on topics, please do so, and we shall uh, we shall respond with our best input and knowledge on that aj but i just wanted to get that out of the way uh we usually do it at the end of the episode some people might not get there but now at least they know very good yeah that's a good idea um we keep talking the talk travis about like really trying to up the social media presence i think it's about that time um really ramping in towards the end of the season uh it's gonna be a lot to talk about a lot of content definitely to be made to be discussed so travis there's a lot going on in MLB right now, um, not that many specifics. So I just have a lot of small, um, kind of bite-sized topics we can jump around here and there throughout the episode and kind of say, uh, "Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that?" But I'd like to start the episode, the first topic, to be something posted by MLB Network on social media today. Um, I'm gonna frame it like a game they just ask a question straight up but we'll do it like a game and we'll do a snake draft okay you and me sounds good you know we're both not prepared for this we're just going to let it fly and see how things end up but the question that mlb network asked was if you could build a dream infield of anyone in mlb history who are you picking so travis wow we'll stick it we'll stick it as no catcher to make it like an even four we'll make it first second short and third um, that way there's an even number of us to do a snake draft. So let's go ahead and, um, I'll let you pick if you want the first pick or the second and third pick. And and we'll just be going off, you know, any infielder for those four. So you don't have to start with first base. You can start with whatever position you want. Yeah. Um, I, I'll do, I'll do two and three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. You get the number one pick on this one. Yeah. Okay. So. My first anyone in history. Yes. We're going back to yeah. Anyone yeah, you want, yeah. Travis. You and I both have, I think, 
Um, I think something we specialize in is like our depth of knowledge in terms of like some of the historic guys. We spend a lot of time on baseball reference, looking through the history books and stuff. So yeah, I know uh, a couple of buddies of ours said we we were talking about the immaculate grid, which is you know very popular right now. But uh, called us liars. Yeah, called us liars. They said that you, there's no way in hell you know these players from the 1920s. And I'm like, hey, you know, and you when you. When you run a podcast, you know, and uh, you've played excessive hours of Emily the Show. It's our yeah, job to know these things. You, you definitely know who uh, who are the all-time greats, but yeah. Travis, looking at the infield positions, I already know what position I'm targeting first. My first overall pick will be the second baseman, Rogers Hornsby. Very nice, very nice. I so, was actually looking at him right now. So, so yeah. So now you <laughs> he's you, staring at me. You you can pick um, the next two, and then I'll pick the two after that. We'll snake it down, but um, you don't have to pick second base yet. You can do whatever you want, but I'm locking in Rogers Hornsby. And at, at the end, we'll compare our four. Excellent uh, choice right there. Um, he's I think yeah top three top top guy in, in all time WAR for uh, for anyone that is at you know the infield spot but um, I will go with uh, for my pick uh, Alex I will go two and three I'm gonna go this is tough now it is tough take, uh, take your time and you walk, walk us through your thought process I'm gonna go uh, it's gonna be unconventional I know people are gonna be like who but uh, I will go uh, Honus Wagner at the shortstop position uh, basically um, one of the top speedsters of all time in the game uh he was just a a freak on the bases as well as i think he is one of the only shortstops in history to have an ops plus above a 150 meaning he played in the dead ball era which would not be impressive today if you looked at his numbers you'd probably think man this is not good like tatis was doing this easily uh in 2019 or in 2021 uh, but when you look at OPS plus numbers, he has, has a 151 uh, career all time. Uh, some very special seasons in the early 1900s, which again, some people might not want to look at, but I will. I will definitely include. He's an all time great, so he is my second pick uh, for that. Uh, the third guy I would pick, Alex, is probably going to be Lou Gehrig at the first base position. Um, I mean, what's what's there really to criticize about Lou Gehrig? If you want uh, home runs, he's going to bring it. If you want RBIs, he's going to bring it. Uh, if you want OPS, if you want average, he's going to bring all those assets to the game. And also uh, a very, very high war uh, being for the first base spot. So those are my two picks. I got the shortstop and the first base covered. AJ, you have the second baseman, but who are you going to get for your next two picks? Yeah, I definitely need to go and get a third baseman here. Um just off the top of the dome, I already know that I'm going to go with Mike Schmidt playing third base. And Travis, I know you might be trying to be sneaky and get him with third base, but I'm going to take him as my shortstop. I'm going to have A-Rod as my shortstop okay. for my infield. Um, obviously, he could probably be picked for shortstop or uh, third base. Um, for whatever reason, baseball reference has always included him in the shortstop category for like all-time Hall of Fame leaderboards. Um Obviously, he can kind of be considered either way, but I am going with A-Rod at shortstop, and I'm going with Mike Schmidt at third base. Um, you have the next two picks, Travis. Who is it going to be? <laughs> Very good picks. Um, it's funny that, you know, when you, especially when you look at all-time war, a uh, lot of outfielders, Alex. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you're staring down uh, outfielders uh, galore, so... Uh, being sneaky on that part, uh, it, it can get kind of tricky. But 
my next guy that I will choose. Actually, actually, I think of the next two, right, AJ? I'm basically finishing yes. it off right here, and I got to get a second baseman and a third baseman. Um, so for my second base spot, I will probably be going with. It's I'm walking through my process right now. I'm looking at Joe Morgan. I'm looking at Eddie Collins. Uh, Collins was a guy that played in the uh, early 2000s and in, on those. Um, he was on those. Uh, oh, Philadelphia A's teams. Um, I will go Eddie Collins just because he's right up there with Hornsby. Uh, it's actually pretty funny. Him and Hornsby are are neck and neck when it comes to all time war, and they both played the second base spot, uh, which is really interesting that two guys playing second base are you know in the top 10 of all time war you think of you know first basemans or you think of like outfielders uh being in that spot but these guys were just all-time greats at those spots so that's going to be my choice there my third baseman alex this you know a lot of good pieces here and there um i will probably be swinging it with probably going to go with my guy you know one of the best guys to play with even with the show um i'm going to go george brett uh, at the third base spot i truly believe he is a uh a top three third baseman if you want i think schmidt's number one but i think if you want to look at uh uh a rod being number two but then you could look at the shortstop factor and then you could say also well he cheated so there's a lot of just ifs and uh and buts with alex rodriguez but i'm going to go george brett at the third base spot for me. So that rounds up my infield with Lou Gehrig, Eddie Collins, Honus Wagner, and uh, George Brett uh, for that right there, Alex. Uh, but that was that was fun. That was a good exercise right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to pick the last first baseman here. That's right, okay. Um, there's two names staring at me, Travis. It's got to be it's one your of boy, the right? two. I mean, I, I'm jealous of the Gehrig pick. You know that I've, I... I I hold him in high regard, uh, obviously. And for me, this is between uh, Albert Pujols and Jimmy Fox. And I'll just go ahead and pick Albert Pujols. Um, I do like Jimmy, though, you know. I think that there's an argument for Fox that many people might not consider. Um, I think that Albert... uh, So if you just want to compare the two, they both have three MVPs. Um, Pujols has five seasons as the most war in baseball fox has three such seasons both have been top 10 in war uh eight different seasons in their career so lots of kind of similarities there 22 seasons for pujols uh 20 for fox of course pujols tailed off at the end there but um overall if you compare the numbers uh a lot of superior career numbers for fox because pools we all know he kind of tailed off a little earlier than expected but the prime everyone knows 2000s our pools one of the best peaks uh offensively in mlb history of course so i'll go with pools that will make my team of pools hornsby a-rod and schmidt um you did a good job of nabbing a couple lefties i'm righty central yeah. you did get you did get garrig and brett um you have definitely have a lot more speed as well i think with your middle infield um but i like the pop that my team has but you know we don't you know listeners at home if you want to give us your <laughs> thoughts but this is more just kind of a fun icebreaker um making these teams i really it, the reason why i went and got hornsby first is because picking that second second baseman is really tough like definitely who, 
if you look at like the numbers, Hornsby is like the de facto best second baseman um, offensively of yep. all time. Mm-hmm. And then picking the second best guy, it's like Eddie Collins has lots of war. Morgan had a good peak, but had some, you know, not, not amazing years as well. You can go a handful of ways and it gets kind of tough. And then, um, yeah, I, I like your Wagner pick. You were kind of defending it as like him being an old timer guy, but you know, I'm right there with you as how great he was. Uh, like you said, dead ball era, but I think he has like a triple crown to his name. He, um, you know, is definitely a legend of, of, of the sport. In my mind, like kind of like the first superstar, mm-hmm. even though, you know, we're talking about over a century ago. Um, but Travis, that was fun. Um, I say we keep it rolling here and try to find something else to talk about. Um, I think that Let's get some. Let's get some recent. Uh, yes. Some, some active players on our on our discussion. Yeah. Yes, and one one point of conversation, Travis, that I'd like to have is about the National League Wild Card race. I think either the last episode or the one prior, you and I both highlighted the fact that this NL Wild Card race it had like like six or seven teams that were like in this mix, you know, and they were all like a, a game or two apart. And since that point, some teams have really, really struggled. So I'm pulling up the standings right now, and this is gonna be based on um, this is gonna be based on games before today, right? Um, we're not gonna factor yep. in, you know. Obviously, there's games being played right now, but um, Travis, looking at the standings in the National League, we'll look at in the playoffs. Um, the division winners at the moment are Atlanta. Braves, LA Dodgers, and Milwaukee Brewers. And then the Philadelphia Phillies are um, in that first wild card spot. And then two games behind them is San Francisco Giants in the second spot. And the Cubs um, coming into today are actually in the playoff picture. And then just outside looking in, you have Miami and Cincinnati are tied with the Cubs um, by winning percentage. And then Arizona, one and a half games out. San Diego, five games out. So there's still a lot of closeness there. And a lot can still happen. And teams can kind of switch around. But, Travis, I felt like maybe like two weeks ago, I was talking about Arizona as like this real legitimate um, kind of fun, frisky team that could probably win like a first round, maybe upset a team like the Dodgers, definitely a team like the Brewers, you know, depending where they lined up. Um, but Travis, looking at things now, they've really kind of skid. Um, Cincinnati has kind of given way to the Chicago Cubs uh, in many ways, even though they're still about tied. It really feels like the momentum has completely flipped in that regard. F- the Phillies have climbed quite a bit. I think things have shaped up for them a good amount. And then San Diego, Travis, they were buyers. They're still well below 500, but they are just five games back. So I can't say it's like a, uh, an unreachable goal for them. I can't count them out quite yet, but I feel like this has been increasingly confusing, this NL wildcard race. Because at first I was like, are the Marlins really going to make it? Are the Diamondbacks really going to make it? But then I kind of got sold on them, right? Because they had been pretty good for like a good two-thirds of the year. And now they just kind of really took a big skid in early August, maybe very end of July. And it's like, oh, wait, these teams are like, I mean, Arizona's one game above 500. Um, that is, if you showed a, a 
Diamondbacks fan that back in May, I think they'd have a heart attack. I mean, they were on top of the world, you yes, know? Yes, yeah. So, so I guess give me your thoughts. I'm not really asking you a question here, but give me your thoughts on this kind of wild card race. Um, do you have any inkling of, of how this might shape up? I think it was um, Mike Petriello on Twitter, who uh, MLB um, network guy, uh, I love his stats yep. he posts. Mm-hmm. He made a comment. He thinks that, he said this a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he thinks the teams that make it are actually going to be the teams that um, are like the proven teams. He kind of was counting out Miami and I believe Arizona. I don't. I don't want to misquote him, but it was something something like that. He was kind of saying, I think the Phillies, the Padres, they're going to figure it out. Um, and the Phillies have, Padres kind of haven't. But um, end of the day, here, some of those teams, like namely Miami, Arizona, maybe Cincinnati. Um, Kind of having some trouble here. Do you think they can climb back in that race? Yeah, um, I'll start off at the top. I mean, I think it's safe to say right now Atlanta and and LA are going to secure their divisions. Um, both teams are riding with. I think right now it's it looks like a it's a, it's an at least a nine game uh, cushion on the uh, second place teams in their respectable divisions. But um, then now looking at the uh, wild card teams, you know, I think Philly. Philly, I think right now you have to say they are a they have to have a really good shot at making the playoffs. I mean, someone that is proven, someone that has um, you know is starting to pick up the intensity as the season progresses. Um, in the second half so far, they have been playing some 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 pretty good baseball. So I think Philly is one team that you can almost chalk in as being one of the three for the wild card. Uh, San Francisco, I look at them, and yes, I think they do have some huge flaws on the offensive part, but they're pitching, and um, and, and, and to be more specific, uh, starting pitching and uh, and even some bullpen guys are really stepping up, Alex. Um, so right now, I really can't count out the Giants. I can't chalk them in, I feel. I think they're just kind of staying in limbo, but they are a team that has have, that they've had proven success. Uh, we saw 2021, uh, 107, 108 wins, whatever it was. Um, they are using some of that magic this year. They're not going to have that many wins, but they're going to probably come close to 90 win totals for the entire season. But right now, uh, San Francisco is kind of in a good spot for me. Miami, I haven't really figured them out yet. Are they good? Are they not? Are they going to just miss the playoffs by a couple games? So they're they're very much uh on on the uh, on the even pedestal right now i can't say that they are um either or right now at the moment same thing i feel like also for um cincinnati alex you know we, we talk so much about these young guys and their offense but i think i saw a stat their their starting pitching era in the second half has been it's like almost a nine i believe and wow. so um they they have not figured it out every they they just haven't figured it out and and you're and you're forcing this offense in Cincinnati to score eight nine runs a game that's not really sustainable and if if that continues then you're looking at you know a team that probably will be you know under 500 uh going in or under 500 or playing under 500 baseball every week if this pitching staff cannot figure things out so cincinnati i think they're a team that's built for the future i don't i think maybe they just got a little bit too lucky so far this year i don't really know what to make of them just yet but um but yeah i i, I could definitely see now a team like san diego getting hot making some sort of a comeback they are right now. I'm looking at five and a half games back of a playoff spot. Alex, one thing that gets me about the Padres is they just have not yet 
really shown that they are going to make some some drastic moves and start to elevate their play, elevate their win totals, um, and starting to climb this uh, th- this standing bracket because. I, I think we were staring them down a month ago and we just thought, you know, they got to get things, uh, they got to get things kicking into gear before, you know, before they can start, you know, really claiming a, a top three wildcard spot, but haven't seen it yet. So that's my only concern about San Diego, Arizona, Alex, we've, we've really seen them fall in the second half so far. So I think that probably is a trend that will continue. I don't think Arizona will I just don't think they're going to be a playoff team this year. I think, again, they're a team that kind of got lucky. Um, and I think they're a team that will be playing, you know, 500 baseball the last week of the season. So kudos to Arizona. I just don't think and see them as being one of the top three. So right now, you know, looking at it, I would definitely probably point to Giants, Phillies, and then that one magical team. I think it's going to either be you're looking at uh, Miami, Chicago, and San Diego as being that that six seed, uh, really fighting it out. Um, Chicago's a team, Alex, that, you know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I think everyone was talking about, you know, it's time to trade these guys. Get I mean, they almost out. sold. They almost sold. Yeah, get get Stroman out of here. Get Bellinger out of here. Get all these guys out of here. And then I think they, what, not won nine games in a row after the deadline or after um, – after the all-star break and then you're looking at okay this team is actually back in it like they are full full uh geared ready for uh ready ready to claim a playoff spot and not only ready to claim a playoff spot but also looking to even overthrow the milwaukee brewers for the division i mean it just would be absolutely crazy to see a team like chicago uh fighting all their way fighting their way entirely back and uh you know claiming that first place spot in the nl central but NL is tricky this year. I mean, again, like I mentioned, you have your top dogs. You have the Dodgers. You have the Braves. That's easy. But then you just have these six or so teams that are just going to be fighting it out all season long. And right now, I mean, it's crazy, Alex. You're looking at a five-game difference uh, between the Phillies, Giants, Marlins, Cubs, Reds, and Diamondbacks. I mean, it's six teams in a five-game difference right there. They're all scrambled in. So, Again, it's it's going to come down to health. It's going to come down to, you know, just how your play is at at the uh, at the end of August and going into September. And you know, obviously, we could look at schedules and we could probably give a pretty good estimate on what we could see here and there. But um, you know, right now, I think um, safely saying, you know, teams like Phillies, teams like Giants, those are teams that have been through this before. I would definitely roll my dice uh, with those teams because uh, they, they just have that um, they have the expertise to do it all over again. So and and they have the front office and the coaching staff that has been there before. So looking at the teams we just talked about, Travis, um, looking at run differential, it's a good way for me to think about how good a team actually is, maybe despite a record, um, you know, how much are they outscoring their opponents or are they getting outscored? Um, and you you find you learn some interesting things, I feel like. So in the National League, looking at only the NL, the Braves blow everyone away at plus 206 coming into today. The Dodgers are at plus 140, which is like a easy second place. No one else is remotely close to even 100. Um, the third best run differential in the National League is the Cubs at plus 62, and then it's San Diego at plus 61. So San Diego, Travis, they're like a couple runs away from being the third best run differential in the whole league of 15 teams, but they're still looking five games out of the wild card, which kind of goes to show you 
I feel like, yes, they've had their struggles. They've had guys who are slumping. But they've also had guys who have stepped up, like, of course, Ha-Seung Kim, who deserves uh, probably more mention than he's gotten in the, in the media. He is towards the top of baseball in baseball reference war. Uh, his Some of his defensive uh, runs saved and other defensive metrics have been super impressive. Um, he figured it out offensively this year and took a step in that regard. Um, a lot of things to like about what Soto has done. I think possibly the most underrated superstar. I, I saw a post today on Twitter. Someone said Soto was the most overrated player in baseball because I think they just look at like the average, the yeah. home runs, and it's not on the level of like maybe like a Freeman or, or, or a Betts or something like that. But I think people just really sleep on, on the on base and how much he is walking and how much he works the count. Um, the defense is not going to be great. The base rank is not going to be amazing. But I do think he provides so much value at the plate, as good as pretty much anyone at the plate. Um, and kudos the, to him. He's playing in a, uh, you know, Petco is a great pitching ballpark. It's not a good hitting ballpark. And he's still uh, providing an OPS that's over 900. Yeah. And so looking at the Padres, I think that that run differential tells me that they are better than their record. Are they going to be able to kind of prove it in the home stretch, home, you know, final month and a half? Can they uh, get over the hump? It will be tough. Um, I haven't looked into their schedule that much, but um, with their talent, I really can't count them out. I feel like I look at the rotation. I say, yeah, you know what? Darvish, Musgrove, Snell. Why couldn't those guys, um, you know, really click towards the towards the the big games that might be coming for them in September? Why can't Tatis or Soto? or Machado, or Kim, um, just go go ballistic for a month. Um, can can Bogarts or Cronenworth step up and look like they did last year for, for a few weeks here or there? So I, I, I cannot help but think that they have a shot to make the playoffs, even though they're five games out still. I like the teams you highlighted um, in terms of who might make it. Um, I say we keep things rolling, Travis. Let's hop to another topic here. I want to briefly take a look at a couple positions and I want to kind of point out some of the unique things that are happening at those positions because we love talking about like who's the best third baseman, who's the best shortstop, this and that. We do it before every season. It's one of my favorite um, types of debates to have because we have these numbers in front of us and we have to decide how we want to kind of factor in, um, you know, war and offensive stats and defensive stats and base running. And it makes for fun conversations. And these guys have ups and downs years. Like this year, last year, Machado Travis, he was my number one this year. If we did that list right now, he might not be top five. Like it's really crazy how much these things can fluctuate in a short amount of time because the game is so deep with talent right now. But let's take a first look here at shortstop Travis real quick. I want to briefly kind of point out some of the crazy things that are happening um, in the game at shortstop right now. I mean, a couple of things are well documented. I think most uh, people who listen to the podcast probably know Trey Turner has had a disappointing season um, overall. Looking at his stats, Travis, he's at a 250 batting average, which looks like a career low um, ever since, you know, 2016 when he was a rookie. No, wait. it No, yeah, it, it's a career low since his 2015 when he only played uh, 27 games. Um, 302 on base percentage, 395 slugging. That's good for an 89 OPS plus. It's not good. The defense has also been suspect. Um, he I mean, lead, Alex, he's played 118 games this season. He leads he, the NL in 
at bats. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he he's played in 118 games this year and has 12 home runs. I think in the World Baseball Classic alone, he had five. In, in like a, two in, weeks. In like a 10-game span. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really is remarkable the um, the turnaround in Trey Turner has had since that World Baseball Classic. And then looking at another guy at the position, Travis, who I think most people know has had his own struggles, is going to be uh, Carlos Correa. Um, the Twins are in a pretty decent spot right now because I think the Guardians are reeling a little bit. But looking at Correa's numbers, um, a below 100 OPS plus at 96. The on-base is barely above 300. The slugging is barely above 400. It is looking like a substantial career low. Um, and the 231 batting average is just something you you have not seen from him in years past, especially a guy who was up there getting top five MVP consideration as recently as 2021. Um, Travis, I bring up these two guys to say, what, what will the top of our shortstop rankings look like at the end of this season? Because there are other guys who I think are making cases to surpass these two. Um, I'm not saying that Correa's finished. I'm not saying that Lindor is finished. I think, or sorry, uh, Correa or Trey Turner are finished. Because I think both guys have proven a certain level of, we should have some level of confidence that they can return to form because they had done it for several years prior at a very high level. But looking at other guys, Travis, who are actually having, in my opinion, underrated years, one guy I want to spend a little bit of time on here, Travis, is Bobby Witt Jr., I think he's having a better year than most people might be aware of. He currently is at 118 games played. He has a 277 batting average, a 318 on base, and a 496 slugging. It's good for a 118 WRC+. He also has 34 stolen bases, so he's a complete menace um, once he gets on base at uh, kind of putting pressure on the pitcher and the catcher. He also, Travis, has 23 home runs, um, and he plays good defense at shortstop. He's good for a 4.8 Fangraphs war already with obviously a month and a half to go. I'm talking about someone, Travis, who should be getting MVP votes. I'm not sure how many he'll get because he plays for the Royals, a team that is doing quite poorly, but he's only 23 years old. I think uh, the future is very bright for Bobby Wood Jr., um, after last season, I knew he had the talent, but wasn't sure if he'd put it all together. He really has put it all together this season. Um, is this a guy? I'll, I'll go through a couple names in a minute, but is this a guy you can see leapfrogging any of those top shortstops? Yeah, I I don't know if it'll happen. Uh, you know, this at, at the end of this season, or um, you know, maybe when we start the rankings next year. But you know, if, if this trend does continue, uh, I definitely see this happening. I mean, right now, Alex. Uh, he is on pace for just around 30 home runs and he's already gotten, you know, he's already has 34 stolen bases. So you're probably looking at 40 plus stolen bases. I mean, already a 30, 30 guy, uh, at his age 23, uh, you know, uh, age 23 year. And so he's climbing up in all these rankings and every year it's getting better and better. And so I, I, I truly do think that, um, you could be looking at this in, in one year from now as being, you know, Bobby Witt is climbing the leaderboard and he is going to be surpassing um, uh, those two guys that we mentioned, as are a couple other guys I know that are out in the game uh, playing shortstop. I mean, that we, that we have such a young 
pool of great players right now in the MLB that, um, you know, some of these guys that are getting these huge contracts when they turn 30 or when they turn 29, you know, they're kind of looked at as like the old guys now. It's kind of funny that, you know, it, we're, we're putting that out into perspective is that uh, Trey Turner and, and Correa are have been in the league for so long or they, they've been in the league for, you know, over what, six, seven years. And now uh, there are is there's a new younger batch of players that is uh, it's ready to basically take the take the scene from them. But yeah, I, I, I so far am really impressed with Bobby Witt Jr. Or Bobby Witt, I, I actually am really glad that you uh, brought him up because he is a guy that I don't think gets a lot of publicity playing in Kansas City and playing for a team that is, you know, a top two worst team in baseball. So, you know, why would you give him, uh, you know, any limelight? But he definitely deserves it for that team. Another name I want to highlight, is, Travis. Is, is it Bobby Witt Jr.? Yes. Okay. I don't, I don't know why. His dad did play, I think. Got, I, I do Bobby know his Witt. dad played, but I, I looked him up right now and it kept saying Bobby Witt. And I'm like, isn't it Jr.? Or is I, have I just been you're, making stuff up for the last no, yeah two years? You you are good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna pull up another shortstop here that I want to kind of ask you, does this guy have a chance to be on the same tier as uh, Correa or Trey Turner? I think they were our... I think they were. I think Correa was your first guy coming into the season, number one shortstop. Yep. I think Turner yep. was mine. Mm-hmm. Um, we both had him top two. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I'm wondering, does Francisco Lindor, Travis, have a chance to catch these guys? I think most of the time you hear about Francisco Lindor in the media, most of what you're going to hear is that he's overpaid. What a bad contract. And you know, Travis, maybe the contract is for a lot of money and for a long time, long period of time. But looking at the production, Travis, he this season has been a complete. I mean, he's been he's been great for the Mets, frankly. 245 average. Maybe not exactly what you want to see if you view him as a contact hitter, but he in in many ways has kind of become a, a power hitter. The 332 on base is pretty much um, in line with what he's been doing for most of his prime. A 463 slugging is is pretty good as well. He's at 22 homers and 20 stolen bases through 118 games. He is the definition of kind of an Iron Man. Uh, he's not a complete like 160 every single year, but he played 161 games last year. And during his prime in Cleveland, he had three straight years over 158 games played. So he definitely has that mentality of like you can count on me to be your shortstop every single day um so the the offense i mentioned it's good for a 121 wrc plus well above the likes of trey turner well above the likes of correa he's also playing uh, better defense than both he uh, is at 10.8 defense by fangraphs i mean it, it adds up to a 4.5 fangraph fangraphs war travis 4.5 Fangraphs War is you're getting MVP votes in in, in that mm-hmm. kind of range, mm-hmm. especially you know considering you have a month and a half left. He's gonna be around like a five WAR compared to Trey Turner and uh, Carlos Correa gonna be between like a one and a two WAR. And he could be around even a six Space Horvitz WAR. I mean, if he has you know you're looking at he's 1.4 away and he has 40 games to do so. I mean, he could get on a hot week and and you could see you know his his WAR spike. Yeah, and he's walking over 10% of the time, the second highest a walk percentage of his career. Um I think overall he's really coming in I mean he's he's what? He's 29. Yeah, he's 29 mm-hmm. and 9 months. So yep. this is his age 29 season. He he really in my mind is hitting like the middle of his career like late prime in a way where he's 
showing that he can keep up and age well. And this is a separate topic, Travis, but he's at 46.5 career Fangraphs war. He's only 29 and he's been durable. If he continues to be durable and play shortstop, I can tell you that in 10 years from now, I'm going to be probably advocating for him to be a Hall of Famer. Yep. I'm not sure yep. if people would have thought that. Um, maybe year one after his move to the Mets, people are like, oh, he's going to fall off now, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yep. I think I think that he's he's staying pace. I mean, 2021, a 4.3 F4. Last year, a 6.8. And this year on pace for over five, maybe approaching six, like you said. So uh, Lindor Travis, does he have a chance to be like – in that top tier of shortstops going in the next season, or maybe the maybe the second tier, I, I I definitely still have hope for him to kind of turn it around. Alex, I will say, in my opinion, he is one hundred and fifty percent overpaid from just what I'm looking at right now. Um, hitting stat numbers compared to what it was like in um, in Cleveland, um, you know, in Cleveland he was a guy that was nearing you know thirty five homers. He was doing things that you know we hadn't seen at the shortstop position uh in and the offensive categories in in quite a long time and you know um since his time uh with the Mets it has been I would say it hasn't been impressive but it's definitely been valuable um he continues of course like you mentioned year in and year out to post up a you know a five war which a five war every single year that's that's going to earn you an easy Hall of Fame uh, bid right there, in my opinion. So um, I I definitely like that about him. So it's not like he's just completely gone from, you know, great hitter and great defense to now just guy can't field the ball. Maybe he's out of you know, overweight and also his hitting has just gone down the drain. There are worse contracts. There, like there are worse contracts, I would say. But um it is disappointing when you are paid all that money and you are looked at as, you know, a, you know, a top, top tier shortstop. And there are guys that are younger than you that are making, you know, two, $3 million in a season that are, you know, putting together better seasons than what you are doing. And that's where it kind of sparks that debate with, um, with your production and what you're getting paid. And, you know, I know people have actually developed equations to really say like, you know, with what you're getting paid and what you're, you know, outputting on the, on the field, it's, it's really not a productive player because we're paying you so much money. But I mean, if you got the money, who, who, who gives a damn, you know, I, I know Cohen has the money. I know it's been a tough month, a tough, a tough uh, month and a half for the New York Mets and their fans. But um, I, I do, I can see Lindor getting back on track to being a top three, you know, a number one shortstop in the game. He's still so young. That's the big surprise, Alex, you mentioned to me, he's 29 still. Uh, and you could definitely see a resurgence in his, you know, year 30 or, or age 31 or 32 season that maybe we haven't seen before. Maybe he goes more to a, a power approach, um, at, at, at the plate and you start seeing balls driven out of the ballpark. Also, what's funny is that, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, the, 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 the hitting era that it was in 2019, 2018, 2017, you know, the balls were just jumping off the bat those seasons, Alex, he was over 30 home runs easily in those seasons. Now you look at it and he's still, you know, he's struggling to get to 25 home runs in the season. So um, could that be a play and be a big factor in it as well? It definitely could be, you know, the, the balls possibly could have been uh, drastically, drastically changed in some of those seasons where you can see uh, a huge drop off in those numbers. But um, I, I can see him. He's the type of player that I could see getting back on track because, I mean, you, if you put him together, if he has a 
career high season offensively, Alex, with the defense already there. I mean, you're looking at an eight, possibly even a nine war guy right there. Uh, if he can put that together. So I, I do think there is still hope for him, but uh, with that contract, that's what that's, that's the, that's the shadow. That's, that's basically, you know, appeared over him that most people see in Francisco Lindor right now. Um, and comparing him to other guys at the position, Travis, I think, uh, yes, the contract is long and it is for a lot of money per year, but look at some of his peers. I mean, I, I think it could, I don't know if it's a bold take or not. I think his contract has a very good chance to age better than Trey Turner's and Xander Bogarts. I think Xander Bogarts' contract, Travis, he's not having a great year. It's like a, it's not like a twelve-year deal. He's going to be like yeah. over forty. It's like yeah. you're going to be paying a shortstop who's not going to be playing a shortstop at forty-two no, or whatever. No, he'll age. be playing third base and he'll be playing. I mean, maybe DHing. Who knows? He, he probably going to first base too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just crazy to see that. And you know, he was never a good defensive shortstop to begin with. Same thing with Trey Turner. So you can only think it's just going to get worse, right? Right. I mean, I mean, we see errors, these easy routine plays by Trey Turner, and they're going through the legs, they're getting bobbled, and you got to say to yourself, hopefully you're going to bring us great offense. He he ain't even doing that this season. So very true on that point, Alex, where at least Lindor is keeping up with excellent defense and um, surprisingly still a decent offense. Um, and it has some good stretches from here and there. Yeah, the offense is above average. The defense is great. The base running is good. Um, yeah, I, I can see the contract aging better than some of his peers. That being said, there are other guys um, that may still continue to rise above. We can very quickly touch on Corey Seager. Travis, he's having one of the most Unreal. impressive shortstop seasons. He has missed some time. It would be fun to see what his numbers would look like over a full, healthy year. He's always had a bit of an injury issue, but his team has stayed afloat regardless. And I think, Travis, he is on pace to be the first shortstop. I forget the I forget the stat exactly, but I think it would be like the first shortstop, at least since A-Rod, maybe before A-Rod, um, to have a 1050 OPS. Um, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm very happy of- me and you both agreed when the season started. And, and anyone can go back and check. We said, watch out for Corey Seager this year. So it, yeah. it feels good. <laughs> it, it, it's that, that that vindication. Of, My of MVP pick with money uh, feels kind of good, but doesn't feel that good because I know he has no shot at winning it, which is definitely a, uh, a a tough pill to swallow. You needed that. You needed that Otani yeah. um, <laughs> to be traded. And, and Travis, um, staying on the topic of shortstop, we didn't mention it at the beginning of the episode. We'll just briefly mention it now. We are not qualified to talk about the Wander Franco situation. A young shortstop for the Rays. He has all these uh, ale- uh, alleged rumors or accusations coming out about potentially a relationship with a younger teenager. Um, don't know what to make of it, Travis. If it ends up being proven true, um, it will be devastating. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's. It's just it's just tragic for all parties. So <laughs> yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna hope um, that there was no wrongdoing. Um, I know that it is being investigated in the DR as we speak. I saw a passing tweet today saying that there was like a judge who specializes in minor abuse, like on the case. And I also read that he is on a restricted list, not traveling with the team. So just gonna hope for the best with that. And we have nothing else to say, Travis, because. Um, we are just two guys and don't have don't have any you know no no comment beyond the fact that we we're really hoping uh, there was no wrongdoing there um he is someone who had the production to be in this conversation but we're not going to go there uh, given that given the circumstances travis 
let us keep it rolling. You mentioned Seeger in this conversation of um, MVP race. Obviously, Otani has run away with it, but let's just pretend for a minute that Otani either got traded to the NL or for whatever reason um, is not eligible for the award. Figuring out the American League MVP second place is a really fun conversation. It, is. it would be like if Otani was in the NL or something, that would be a really fun AL race because you have a guy like Seager who has missed a lot of time, but he is on a team that is completely mashing the ball and he's in the middle of it all. Um, also playing, of course, shortstop, a really tough defensive position, so he gets extra value from that. You've got like Kyle Tucker, Travis, who was coming to his own. I think in he a, was second place two weeks ago. Yeah, in in a big way. Um, if you if you had to kind of say, you know, you don't have to give an official pick, but kind of walk me through your mindset of if Otani was not eligible for the award, how would you break down the AL MVP race? Because there's a lot of interesting names, guys that might never win an MVP like Tucker and Seager, but this would have been a great chance I don't for Otani. It would have. And, and even also like a guy like Luis Robert. Um, mm-hmm. I know the White Sox are nowhere near the level of wins than uh than the what the Astros and the Texas Rangers are uh, bringing right now but um I I think and I know I put money down on him so obviously I'm going to be uh favoring Corey Seager but I just think also um I tend to look at I tend to favor what he's doing and also the position he's playing and that uh-huh. how 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 you know just how rare this is. We don't see this from a shortstop every season. This happens every decade or, you know, every, every couple, you know, every 15 years or so where you see a shortstop really, you know, balling on this level, but looking at Seager's numbers right now, batting 350. I mean, in an age where we're really not seeing a lot of huge, uh, high batting averages. Now I don't think it's counting right now, of course, because of the plate appearances and at bats and all the time he spent, um, injured, but you're looking at a 350 batting average with, of course, a 410 on base and a 666 slug. I mean, a guy that has an OPS plus of a 188. You're looking at almost Aaron Judge, but he's playing shortstop um, and just completely mashing the ball for a first place team. Um, Kyle Tucker, I think Kyle Tucker Alex is just going to be that guy that will probably never win an MVP, but will just always have the you know the top 10 the top five finishes in his career just an a minus but but yeah just an a minus player someone that's just gonna have uh, a fantastic career every single year you look at kyle tucker i mean the ops uh numbers are great the ops plus numbers are fantastic as well so i think uh tucker is just gonna be a guy that might get screwed for the rest of his career if of course otani does stay in the american league and uh, you know other other things and other factors don't come into play, but um, I, I just I look at Tucker as being just a fantastic ball player. Um, doesn't really have a, uh, a you know just an alter ego that you know some of these players do have that you know does does get them a lot of criticism. Tucker basically just sticks to his game. Dusty will bat him second. Dusty will bat him sixth, and he's going to do his job, and he doesn't say anything about it. And that that's the kind of ball player you love plays great right field defense has a great arm he's just a guy that you need on a championship ball club and it's really funny that um with you know with his level of production he's comfortable even with going all around the lineup and moving all around to fill some of those voids now of course some of the spots might not be places that we agree with but um 
he's just that I think he's just a great championship piece in my opinion um someone that uh someone that's just is going to come and be so valuable for a team throughout the season and in the playoffs Corey Seager though in my opinion is having um just a the hype is so real right now and and I I would definitely be looking to to get Corey Seager the MVP uh for the season I mean, one thing that really is funny to look at as well, you know, only 77 games played this year, Alex, 77. Um, that's that's not even half of the season if he was playing every single day. He's at a 5.3 war already. So you're looking at a guy right now that probably is going to finish with a 6.5 war, somewhere above six, and you're only looking at, what, 115 games played on the season? That, that right there is really impressive. So that's what I like about war because all these stats, you might say, oh, well, Tucker has more of this or this guy has more home runs, more RBIs, more stolen bases, all this. But when you start looking at some of the percentage numbers, then when you look at war, war kind of takes into account, well, they have the same war, but this guy played 40 games less. So obviously this guy was way more valuable. If he would have played the 40 games, he'd probably be looking at, you know, one to two uh, a war higher right now, but the war definitely speaks for itself on Corey Seager, but I, everything else too, it's just been an unreal season to, uh, to what he's brought to the Texas Rangers. And they're a big reason why, um, uh, they're so, they're so successful right now. Yeah. It's funny. You bring up the war conversation for Corey Seager. I'm looking at fan graphs here. He is ninth in baseball, um, in fan graphs war. And like you said, it's 77 games played everyone above him is at 112 games played or higher. Um, so, you know, we're talking about like a, almost like a 50, like a 40 ga- game differential, and he's still up there in that top 10. In the American League, he's only behind Otani and his teammate Marcus Samian, which somehow, Travis, every year he is a war fiend. I think it's just because he always bats towards the top of the order, mm-hmm. uh, consistent uh, production offensively, not numbers that are going to blow you absolutely away, but, you know, he gets... A decent amount of walks doesn't strike out too much. The batting average is at a 282, um, 19 homers, 11 steals, kind of doing a little bit of everything and playing really solid defense at second base. Um, it's going to get him somehow the second best uh, Fangraphs war in the American League. Then it's Robert, Bobby Witt, and Seager. And so it's really crazy okay. seeing Seager um, up in that top five for American League despite 40 fewer games played than everyone else above him. So really a testament to what he's been able to produce, um, like you said. Uh, I mentioned Semyon. I don't really see him getting that much of the craze, not much of the vote, just given the numbers are just kind of good but not like blowing you away on the surface. But the war is super impressive. I mean, Travis, he's at a 5.0 Fangraphs war. He could get close to six before the season is done. Um, but just not, I mean, he just kind of gets viewed as like this pretty good second baseman. I feel like um, in the American League, I don't even know who who is, is even approaching him this season, at least given the Altuve injuries and stuff. So um, it's been a great year for him. Bobby Witt, we already covered, you know, a lot of fun names here. Um, I, w- I will say one praise, Alex, and we're not talking about it that much, but I mean, it's, it's, it's August 16th and, Shohei Otani's already above a 9.0 war. I mean, that that that, that is just truly remarkable right yeah, now. Travis, he, he leads the American League in Fangraphs war just with his offense. If he was just a DH, Travis, and yeah. was not pitching at yeah. all, yeah. he would still have the best Fangraphs war. That's pretty much telling you he's the best offensive player in the American League, um, pretty much the best offensive player in baseball. Oh, yeah. 
And by the way, he is, of course, pitching one every six games, and he is doing so at a probably top 10 Cy Young level. So um, we don't need to spend too much time on him because— <laughs> We do every episode. We do every episode. <laughs> he had a 40-second home run today. It was, in a way, the winning run because Angels won 2-0. to zero. Um, Would not be able to do it without Shohei, of course. So, um, Travis, I just had fun breaking down that race there because Otani's running away with this thing— it's going to be one of the biggest landslides. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw a stat saying he would be the first player to win two unanimous MVPs if he does, of course, win a unanimous MVP. Which, what would have to happen, Travis, for him not to be unanimous? Yeah, and, I mean, and, and who would have to be that that one voter to say either the saltiest I, Texas I, fan, yeah, or like, or yeah, just an Astros uh, writer that. But I mean, honestly, I mean. You can give your love and support to those guys and say, I want to give them a first place vote. But you, you got to, I mean, if you do that, then I kind of question, you know, your judgment on that level. And, and you might think it's kind of like with the uh, with the Jeter uh, Hall of Fame vote. You know, the, I, I don't I think it was one writer that said, I'm not going to give him uh, a yeah. a, um, a the vote, unanimous, yeah. uh, a unanimous vote because um, he's already going to get in. I'd rather give my vote to another guy, which, you know, in that. I, I think the, that the guy criteria voted, on that is uh, is different. But I think yeah. that guy might have voted for no one. I think he just wanted to be a, a protester. So gotcha, it, it, gotcha. It's, it's it's stupid. Some yeah. of these guys, but, but but I mean, yeah, you're right. It's 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 locked up. It was locked up. Um, I think we went through the odds when the uh, the deadline was over, and when the Angels said we're not trading him, and the the odds were just they just skyrocketed through the roof on uh, on MVP. And so you're basically looking at uh, you know. You're gonna have to put down like over 10k if you want to really make some money uh, with Shohei Otani. I think you might even make a hundred bucks on a 10k investment. So is it really worth it? I don't know, and I don't even know if some of these. I mean, the only sportsbooks have taken his odds down. I think that yeah, some of some probably have taken his odds down. I think the like the one way he like doesn't win is like if so, like some sort of if, che- cheating scandal or if, something. If, or... And I know we don't want to talk about it, but if he becomes Wander Franco. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll... But yeah, it's like if, if something really bad like that were to happen, I mean, like we always mention, he could break his leg. He could be out for the rest of the year. He could literally just sit the rest of the season but No down, one's going to catch him in a war. And, and no one's going to catch him. And no one's going to – everyone's going to say, well, that's, you know – yeah, the 40 games left, we don't really need him because the decision's already made. So I'm sure I mean, he's like four. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, writers already have that already written down saying like that's already locked up. It, he has like four war above like Semyon. It's like this is just wait, I just got a is this a new tweet? Oh, no, this is an old tweet. Sorry, I got a pass notification. I had to see if it was new, but it's not. It's just the same old thing I already talked about um, regarding Franco, but Travis. Uh, I don't think anyone's catching Otani. Um, one other conversation, we talked about the shortstop kind of hierarchy and, and how we see things um, shaping up given some of the performers this year. Uh, some guys doing better than expected, some guys doing worse than expected. Similar phenomenon right now with pitchers, Travis. Starting pitchers, I can't remember the last time that I really just had absolutely no clue who I would say is the best pitcher in the world. Yeah. Who, who is the best pitcher in the world right now? I feel like there was a stretch of time where I felt very comfortable saying DeGrom. I feel like there was a stretch of time where I felt comfortable saying Scherzer. Um, you can keep going back and back. And I felt like different guys had their eras, their peaks. But right now we're definitely in this middle. And 
if we had to make a ranking right now going in the next year, I I don't know who I, I I think actually I think I know who I would go, but it's definitely not who most people would pick. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what's your what's your gut here? What's your what's your gut telling you? You can look at the stats for this season. You can look at you know if you want to look at last couple seasons. Degrom has been really good when he's healthy, but I mean, how can you pick a guy yeah. who is not staying on the field? I think you demoted him outside your top five. I think I did. Yeah, I think and, I, I think I had a, a. I think my top five didn't include um, Verlander, Scherzer, or Degrom, just because of the injuries and and the level of play on some of those guys. But yeah, and 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 the injuries to Degrom have continued. Scherzer and Verlander have had good moments. Um, yeah, but th- th- those two talk- guys have also experienced either suspensions or injuries. So and and looking at looking at um, who actually has been there consistently is a big factor. But also looking at who's been a good performer is a big factor. Looking at who um, maybe has the better underlying numbers, like the more strikeouts, um, things like that. Um, how would you lean even, even approaching this conversation of? You know, how do you how do you reconcile with this fact that I don't know who the best starting pitcher in the world is? It's so true because I mean, even looking at numbers right now, I'm looking at even uh, war pitcher war leaderboards from last year and this year, and everybody on the list last year is pretty much not on the list this year. Yeah, so Alcantara is sorry. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah. Like you said, Alcantara is was the leader uh, last year. He had a great season. Dylan Cease was second. Um, Otani was third and Alec Manoa was fourth. Um, Cease, Alcantara, and Manoa are going to be nowhere to be found on the war leaderboard this year. Otani is still there at a 3.6. So again, kudos to him that he has uh, consistently, uh, both seasons have had, you know, pretty, pretty, I mean, you're saying top, top 10 stuff right there as a starting pitcher for Shohei Otani. But I, you know, Garrett Cole is again always going to be the name that always comes to mind just because consistently he is last year was kind of interesting I think he gave up like a career high in home runs he gave up like so many home runs and that just really spiked his ERA 2021 I think yeah he came in second for the Cy Young uh him and Robbie Ray really battled it out but before that you knew you know 2020 Cole 2019 Cole uh, it was just excellent seasons, and we always just thought, you know, Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom are the two best pitchers in the game. This year, Garrett Cole has kind of been just, again, staying somewhat consistent, so I have to give him the nod. Um, obviously, Alex, if I wanted to choose, like, if, if I went with the one guy that I really like right now in the game, that's going to be Spencer Strider. Um, he is a freak for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, the strikeout numbers right now are... I think he had like a 50 strikeout lead over like Blake Snell in the National League. And it's 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 truly unreal what he's doing this year. I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm really, really interested to see how this season finishes for Spencer and what his um, what, what his season uh, strikeout totals will be going to be this year, because he's at 117 right now, probably looking to make Alex at least six more starts. And you're probably going to get 10 strikeouts every start. So, I mean, again, you're, you're almost looking at a season that he will probably have 300 strikeouts this year. He actually has the lowest FIP in the National League, which is really interesting. Yes. In 2.95. And ERA has been elevated because he does give up the home run ball. 18 home runs this year uh, for Spencer Strider. So I think he is someone that's closing in, in my opinion, as, you know, 
being one of the top pitchers in the game. Someone who I would almost want to start a franchise with right now if I had to pick a starting pitcher in the game. Uh, Spencer Strider is definitely coming to mind. But I, you know, I guess just with, with keeping the consistency going, I will say Garrett Cole just because he is having a good year, Alex. He has a 2.76 ERA. Um, you know, strikeouts are, are, are of course, still uh, decently pretty high. He's, he's averaging a lot of innings pitched um, right now. So that, that's always appreciative as well. So I, I, I would probably lean Garrett Cole. He, he, I, you, you'd like to see him get him to get that one Cy Young, hopefully. And maybe this could be the year because all the competition is just, it, there's just not, it's not good competition out there right now. And so, um, that's the way I'm kind of leaning it. But again, if I just start a franchise right now, the starting pitcher I want to get is going to be Spencer Strider. I like that answer. I also am very high on Strider going into this. Um, when I said I think I know who I would pick, that was referring to Spencer Strider. The ERA doesn't reflect how good I think he is. You mentioned his FIP is much better than the ERA, and the XFIP is also very good. He leads all of MLB in Sierra, which is just another ERA predictor, right? It's another stat that is trying to figure out how good you might, ERA might be going forwards. His uh, Sierra is actually just much better than the rest, just this might not mean something to some of you, but he's a 2.77 Sierra. So it's supposed to be like a predictive ERA stat. So 277 is very good. The next best is Gosman at 3.05. And so that's like a good, that's a good like 30 points of difference. Um, that's a bigger gap than like number two to number five. So I think that Strider, um, in my mind, there's a, I could convince myself that he has cemented himself as the best pitcher in baseball, which it sounds funky to say that because he is young and hasn't had like a quote-unquote complete season where he like pitched the whole year yeah. and had a really good ERA. That hasn't happened yet. Last year, he had a really good ERA, didn't pitch the workload that some of the Cyan contenders uh, did. And then this year, the ERA has um, fluctuated a lot higher than some of the other Cy Young candidates. He still could win that award, but that's going to be a, an interesting one that you know we'll talk about more towards the end of the year. Another guy I might consider for the best pitcher in the world, it it seems weird to say, but I also think Kevin Gossman is like in that conversation. He has um, the 3.04 ERA, so a bit better of like a normal stat for Strider. And then the FIP is also... The FIP is actually better... Than Spencer Strider, I think it's the uh, MLB best. The FIP yeah. is an MLB best. You're correct. Um, so, and he gets the strikeouts. He limits the walks. He's really just doing a great job overall. Um, Strider and Gosman are one and two in baseball in strikeout percentage minus walk percentage. So, um, a lot to like with those two in my mind. I also think Wheeler deserves some love. Not quite the same level of strikeouts, but still up there and provides big volume. Has been a big volume guy the last several years now. Um, what a what what a job he did on that contract for for the Phillies. Um, yeah, I think beyond that, you kind of start picking and choosing guys you like. Like maybe you could convince yourself of Otani if he stops walking guys. Maybe you can convince yourself of maybe an older Verlander. Um, I think Cole, you made a good argument for him. He has been the steady guy, steadily a top five pitcher. He's the one guy who hasn't dipped out, right? Yep. Like DeGrom, Scherzer, Verlander might have dipped out a bit. And then a guy like Burns, Travis, I still am very high on Burns in the future, but the numbers just aren't quite there this year. And it's not like, I, I'm not going to say that he 
can't somewhat get back to form, but it's definitely been a drop off and not just in the normal stats like ERA, but also some of the underlying metrics. The X ERA is um, significantly worse than 2020, 2021, or 2022. The FIP is worse than any of the three prior years. The expected FIP is worse than any of the three prior years. He's at a 2.4 Fangraphs war. Last year, he had a 4.6. year before, he had a 7.5. So he is not going to be touching those figures. Not even close. Um, I am overall kind of wondering if we saw his peak. I don't want to write him off because he still is only... Is he 28? Yeah, he's 28. So I don't want to write him off. I still think he can have a great second act. Um, but that first act was so good, it might be hard to top. Yeah. But he kind of, you know... I think going into this year, I think Burns was one of those guys I might have said he could be the best pitcher in the world right now. Yep. Um, right there with, you know, DeGrom if DeGrom's healthy. And, you know, these guys have just dipped out in a, in a really kind of unexpected way. I'll put it that way. And but. since 2020, um, you know, that's why kind of you kind of can look at that threshold and look from 2020 onward. You know, Burns is a guy that's been so successful. Very much like you mentioned, um, Gosman's been another guy since 2020 that has just been having – outstandingly great numbers so that's why he's I, I i like that decision to go with gosman and then of course cole has again just been the consistent guy. So there really hasn't been too many spikes here or there in the numbers and then uh it just feels like two spencer strider is is only had um you know he came in, into last year i think in like may or june and uh yeah like i mentioned has yet to complete one full season in the bigs but what we've seen so far has been spectacular and uh, he's a guy that is not going to fool around. He's just going to go out there and strike you out. So um, that's one reason why you, you really appreciate uh, Spencer Strider as well and, and how young he is. Travis, I'm going to move the conversation along. Um, one interesting thing that came up like right after our last episode, we didn't get a chance to touch on it. I thought it was interesting that both, um first it was keenan middleton who he was traded from the white Sox to the yankees he came out on record and he had some um i wouldn't know if accusations is the right word but he was kind of blaming some of the culture issues in the white Sox organization for some of their struggles he said something about yeah like young players um they might be sleeping during a meeting and they don't get punished for it um he said something about like yeah a pitcher who is supposed to be getting ready for his thing. He might be arriving late uh, to warm ups and doesn't kind of get scolded for it. And it seems like a kind of a disorganized situation over there. And then I think someone asked Lance Lynn after he became a Dodger, um, if you could back up those quotes. And I think Lynn kept it brief, but said something like, yeah, what he said was, was kind of true. Um, I Things like this always interest me, Travis, because there's so much I feel like I know about this sport, right? We cover it religiously. We're on, you know, social media every day. We're watching these games every night. Um, we look at the stats, but there's so much behind the scenes that we're just not really aware of. You know, we can, we can kind of guess and we can kind of listen to some of the writing on the wall from some of the beat writers. But to hear a player come out and kind of bash a former organization for um, being disorganized and and not disciplined, especially a team that had high expectations. A team that you know two years ago we thought maybe a dynasty was forming. <laughs> Too early to sit to call it that, but we thought you know, 2020 this team is getting hot. Um, I think it was 2021 where you know they 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 made the Astros, um, you know, 
go to game four or whatever it was. So things are really falling off for them really quick. And seeing quotes like that are probably somewhat discouraging for the fans, but also to me, just really interested as, as, a, as a neutral a neutral spectator. You know, what other teams have these issues? Um, you always hear coaches talking about, you know, our team, we got dogs in there and, you know, we... Yeah, they're they're beat up after the loss, or they're they're pumped for the win. They're focused. You know, I wonder how many teams are actually in some disarray. But did you have any takeaways um, from that White Sox situation? Um, but to me, I'll say I I think it really it some things made some more sense based on how their last two years have gone. Yeah, it, it, it maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but it definitely sounds like my high school and college baseball team. Right oh, really? There. So yeah, it it there. And that's what's interesting, Alex. You know, we can go, we can dive so much into the numbers and look at, you know, this guy would be great in this situation that we could do this and all of that. But there's so much behind the scenes that, like, the emotions that take into the game that we cannot measure. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I definitely can see uh, an organization like the White Sox if they're not ran properly. And like you mentioned, guys are showing up late and there's really no uh, punishment and uh, guys are just treated differently. Um, in different situations and then you can get that uh, you know that disgruntled employee or group of employees that might look at it as um, you know why am I going to give this much effort when this guy is just going to get the start over me or this guy is going to do this and I'm over here doing this and maybe that causes some uh, some tense locker room situations I, I know I've dealt with it personally with uh, with you know being on teams where you know actions weren't taken for certain individuals and then the rest of the team kind of groups together and rallies uh you know with it with one side or with another side and then you kind of got this almost like a civil war going on with your teammates and your team and that's never really a good sign uh some teams can um use that as motivation and and really kind of actually be bonded together some teams will just play separately but it is uh it is interesting alex because i i definitely think there are probably a lot of teams out there that are uh just don't mesh well together and maybe that's one big reason you know you look at a team like the Mets going into the season, Alex, I think everyone said we all thought they're going to be a playoff team and getting all these guys is going to be huge. And maybe just all these superstars just don't mesh together and that's not going to create a winning environment. Um, and then you look at Baltimore, all these guys being brought up together. Yeah, they have some good superstars, but did we really think they were going to have 74 wins, 75 wins? I, I, I don't know about today, but around the 75 win mark come mid-August. I, I don't think anybody thought that. So it, you really got to think about what, not only with the numbers, but also just with the the background things that we don't know. Is this a good organization to play for? Are they going to treat everybody with respect? Are they going to treat everybody fairly? That sort of thing. So it, it is interesting that he put that out there because I think there, there would be a lot of other players that would want to speak up. They don't just out of respect for um, you know, themselves, the organization, maybe coaching staff and friends that are on that previous team that they don't say anything, but I'm sure you can go and you could take an anonymous poll in MLB and there's probably a good, uh, you know, close to maybe even a 50, 50 split of players talking about previous organizations or organizations they're with right now, not running things the way that they would want things ran, or, or maybe they see a, a, um, a, they, they just, they just see a uh, unethical culture or something like that. So it, it is interesting he brought that up because you know, with experience, um, it does it does hurt a team, and you do get these clicks, and you do get these groups on teams that um, 
is never good for uh, trying to accomplish and win ball games. So yeah, yeah, because that that's the overall goal is to win the ball game. You could have you know the three best hitters in the American League or National League, and you still suck <laughs> because you just can't get things done. And and, and who knows what's having what's what those conversations are like in the clubhouse that we don't know about. Yeah, you mentioned the division that you've kind of seen, and it really comes down to you need. I mean, I'm, I, we all know I'm a firm believer. And in I don't it. think Tony Russo was the guy to bring them together. <laughs> I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think that you know, I'm not. I'm not sure if he was playing favorites or what. What the deal was, um, but there's no doubt that there's this level of division. And I'm. We all know I'm big on the statistics, the analytics. Uh, that being said, guys do need to be bought in. Of course, that that's like the baseline is that you know guys are um, working together, cooperating with coaching staff, doing their best to lift each other up. Um, that's all essential for confidence, for uh, optimal performance. Um, I, another quote that was in that whole uh, news story that was brewing a couple a week or two ago, I think it was about Grandall, like had an altercation with like Tim Anderson. I think he slapped him in the face, or, yep, and then yep. he pushed back on that, and it's like, hmm, you know, may, maybe it did happen, maybe it didn't happen, but. I mean, of course, Grandal is going to deny it. I mean, he's going to be a free agent in a month and a half and his team stinks. So he probably wants to go to a new team. Uh, I'm sure he'll deny it. Like he doesn't want to be known as a guy who, who caused a problem yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in the clubhouse. So, But either way, not going to point any fingers. Obviously, it's a bigger issue than any one or two guys. Um, and it seems like Lynn has already found some success uh, leaving that organization. So the Dodgers have found something in him. Um, you and I talked about this earlier today. We'll see how he does against uh, some stronger competition. He has faced three losing teams, I believe, mm-hmm. and but he pitched very well against all three. So he's done his job thus far. We'll see if he can continue doing so. Travis, um, just to wrap up the episode here, um, I also have that Bueller and Trinan of the Dodgers are both rumored to probably be back for the playoffs. That is obviously huge yeah. for the Dodgers. Um, huge, and I would say uh, a little scary at the same time, seeing that these guys haven't pitched in, you know, what, 16 months. So who knows? Right. Yeah. You're going to want to see how they do in like rehab starts or bullpen sessions, things like that. Um, I think every Dodger fan absolutely loves Walker Bueller because he has yeah. that, he has that dog. I mean, that's like, that's like the, that's like the go to thing is like yes. everyone knows how he is just, uh, fearless out there so i fully expect him to contribute in some way assuming the health is there i um, mean then trying is someone who is a veteran he wants to i'm sure win a, a world series so he's gonna do what he can to help but i mean that, that that's additions uh, two big additions in, in in areas of need that i think um that would just be huge game one or game two starter you know right there and then of course trying and being just a great uh, reliever and the Dodgers already have great relievers, so it's it, you're just you know gravy on top of this uh, of this um, this dish. Yeah, if if Bueller is able to actually make it back, um, I do think that you're talking about. I mean, who gets game one? Kershaw. Yeah, unless yeah, I mean, again, I, I their 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 rotation is very scrambled, but I think. Kershaw would go game one. Maybe Lance Lynn goes game two right now, assuming that, you know, Bueller is not going to be um, making any playoff starts. But um, that's kind of the way I would put it. Or if you want to match things up better, maybe you switch it around. But um, 
just based off the success, I think you're looking at, you know, uh, Kershaw and then if you, I don't know if you want to go Gonsolin and Lance Lynn. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's interesting. I, I think that, um, so what I'm reading here is I think that Dave Roberts is hoping for a September return. Um, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously you have to rehab him. I guess he's throwing, he's thrown two simulated games. I guess yesterday he wasn't that sharp. So, you know, we'll see it. We'll see what happens. Um, but the potential addition of a Bueller to make your rotation go from, I mean, if you can go Kershaw, Bueller, I honestly think Travis Bobby Miller has been insane. Like yeah. just throwing yeah. 101, like it's easy money and making some opponents look kind of foolish. Not every start is, is, is dominant, but there's enough good slash great performances there to warrant him postseason start i think the dodgers aren't, aren't afraid to kind of push him in that way then you'll probably have like urius in the mix i think urius could even be long relief i feel like he's he's a good guy that's gone out of the bullpen and done really well so I he has done that in the past yeah. and, and that's that's going to be an interesting decision for roberts you know i think they will play the matchups you know yep. depending on the team they play mm-hmm. you can you can i could even see like a urius two times through the order, then Lance Lynn, two times through the order, you know, and see if that gets you through, you know, eight innings and then you have a closer or something like that. So I think that they will get creative like they always do. Um, but it's, 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 it's gotta be exciting for Dodger fans to see the potential return of a guy who has proven himself in the playoffs to be quite effective. Um, I don't have much else, Travis, any last points to talk about here? Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing too much to, to talk on. I mean, I know we've we've harped on both wild cards and everything like that. Uh, definitely a surprising year, Alex. Um, teams that we saw in the beginning, uh, you know, really hitting their stride. Now um, the expected, you know, cool down is is happening. One team I know that I think I don't know if we mentioned at all, but um, you know, just looking at the Tampa Bay Rays and how they started, Alex, and looking at them now. I mean, they they lost McClanahan this week for Tommy John, and they, that's You're their right. third pitcher this year. And then, of course, the Wander Franco situation. So that's a team that, I mean, if I had to bet, I would say Tampa will probably be finishing as the sixth seed because I can wow. just see them continuously spiraling down because, again, they're just going to have to – I don't know if Cash and the front office can get can keep getting lucky by putting in all these new pieces. Yeah, they play very smart, but I look at Houston being a team that could, uh, you know, get over the uh, the 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 Rays in a wild card uh, uh, stand uh, standpoint. But I I think the Rays are going to fall down to at least the the force or I, I, probably the five or six seed. And I, I think they could definitely be a six seed going into the playoffs. I mean, I don't know if I could see them being an entire just like flop and not even show up and miss the playoffs, which would be absolutely outrageous. But I, I think we all knew they're going to be a team that could that should at least be a playoff team because they're the race and that's how they operate. But um, the trends have just been very, very bad since they were what thirty and nine. And yes, right they, now it's just it's it's not it's not a pretty it's just not a pretty situation right now in Tampa Bay. I think if you showed uh, the race fans out there when they were thirty and nine, if you showed them their future in a crystal ball, and they saw. Uh, Rasmussen is on Tommy John, uh, 60 day IL, I believe. Shane Baz. Baz has been out. McClanahan, 60 day IL. I think. Who's that uh, guy they had earlier this year? Springs. Yep. Springs is on 60 day IL. Um, I mean, you just look around. 
we already touched on Franco. There's a world for sure where he doesn't come back this year. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, but yeah. but there, we know that there, there's, a, there's a reality where he hasn't played for them this season. Again, that is your, without a doubt, best position player in terms of production that you're losing. Um, the bullpen, Travis, they always make it work. They get guys off waivers. They, yep. I mean, all their relievers have over 100 ERA plus because they'll pull Jake Diekman off waivers and boom, he's he's going to be a 121 ERA plus guy. Glassnut comes back from injury. Already looking like a beast still with a 3.01 uh, ERA. Eflin has been a great signing for them. Um, Eflin and Glassnow both at a 3.10 and a 3.12 FIP. So I'm just talking about really effective pitchers that I expect them to get a lot out of in a postseason series. But can you really get, you know, can how 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 deep can you go on a postseason run yeah. with these injuries to your starting pitchers and to your, you know, and you know restricted list leave for your uh, premier position player but Travis they're a team that I always just feel like I count them out too early so <laughs> yeah we'll yep. see what happens um, but I like that you brought them up before the end of the episode here because um, things have looked a lot better they're still getting good production from Yandy Diaz there's still things to like around the batting order I mean Travis, the, whole, if, the whole lineup I think has an OPS plus above 100 <laughs> I'm literally about to say the same thing if you look at it and then um, yeah, Franco um, is going to be missing time. But if you can plug in just a defensive uh, shortstop to just kind of be a stopgap, um, give some maybe extra play appearances to Luke Rayleigh, who's been great in platoon this year. Um, yeah, I think there, there's there's a lot to like um, somehow, despite them consistently losing guys to injury. Travis, one day we will have an in-depth investigation on what goes on in the Rays pitching lab? How do they all keep getting hurt? It is criminal. It is, <laughs> it is a tragedy. I mean, there's there's two big criminal organizations in the MLB. It's what happens when Alex Anthopoulos uh, has these players held at gunpoint, signing twelve year deals when they're for ten million dollars <laughs> when, when, when they're when they're twenty years old, and then what happens in the Tampa Bay Rays pitching laboratory where they make a pitcher become an all-star for six months a god and then then their elbows (laughs) explode yeah um but i mean mean, mean, you have zach eflin who i mean we all thought his career was over probably 18 months ago with the phillies and uh he came back like as a reliever and and was doing good and then the Rays signed him as the biggest contract in their franchise history and we're like oh boy like you don't give the biggest contract to just some nobody the rays are going to figure something out and this year he's been an excellent starting pitcher yeah we all knew the Rays had a plan for him and it has worked out to great success of course because of the Rays. but travis that's all i really had for today uh we will come back to you uh listeners next week of course with a new episode and we also travis are going to try to keep to our word put out some instagram reels make some more content um the season is really coming to a climax here all those wild card races are going to need to be um, studied closely in the final, you know, six or so weeks. So, Travis, um, I say we sign off here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you made it this far, we appreciate you so much. And we'll talk to you next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs>